We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by Francesca Lass and Dan Hilton here. We are delighted to have you listening again for another opinionated take on the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. If you're new here, please head over to thebarcelonapodcast.com to subscribe, comment, or support the show, this being show number 13. By taking advantage of the many deals we offer, let's get right into it, Frances. I've heard that we're talking about a very popular man again today in Marco Verratti. We do. Marco Verratti is going to be the star of our show today. Then we're going to be discussing Hector Bellerin and whether or not he's coming to Barca. And we're going to finish with a, what I think is going to be quite a heated discussion on Barca's midfield and whether it's overloaded and who should stay and who should go. And it's going to be very exciting. Well, a good way to continue to overload that midfield would be, of course, to buy Marco Verratti from PSG. And we had a whole section a few weeks ago on Marco Verratti and whether or not he would fit at the club. The easy answer to that one was we both agreed that a resounding yes, he should be the number one transfer signing of the summer as a transfer that Barcelona has been intent on continuing to push. And Marc Verratti, being a player, has done his at least a little bit of due diligence to let PSG know that he would like to come to Barcelona as even this week he came back in to Paris after his holiday, which of course he took up in Spain. Yet there has been speculation that he would refuse to turn up for preseason training he has. And now for about the next week, he'll be working in the gym instead of with the rest of the players during the normal practices. He has his own custom training plan, which is, you know, a, a kind of a, a small act of defiance against the PSG board to let them know that he would love if they would do their due diligence and get him offloaded to Barcelona. Definitely great. Fantastic news. Um, I think Marco Verratti should be Barca's first, most important priority sign in this season. And uh, if he wants to join us, then the Barca board should go all out and uh, try and please PSG's demands uh, within reason, within reason, but definitely. Um, the Barca preparation in terms of the season ahead, we've got Ernesto Valverde coming in. The, the squad, let's face it, is already really strong. And what we need is a couple of starters that can take the team into the next level. We have spoken in the podcast before about the fact that we need an attacking creative midfielder who can connect with our fantastic front three of Messi, Neymar and Suarez. 
and uh, it would be fantastic as well if we could have a right back who can take, you know, Dani Alves's place that you know was sort of covered by Sergio Roberto um, with some success last year. But we need that player that's going to take things forward. So that is where we are now. If I had to choose, obviously Marco Verratti or the creative attacking midfielder would be and has to be the first choice. Um, this sort of prioritizing for this option is the fact that Andres Iniesta obviously is aging. He's 33 and he's going to become, you know, he's going to be defeated by father time and he's never going to become any younger. So we need a player who can start and learn alongside Iniesta at this moment in time. And I really do think that Berardi is the best choice because, yeah, okay, he's going to be very expensive. Sure, PSG are going to do all they can to keep the star player in the in the squad. But if he's determined to come, which he seems to be, given the actions that he has taken already, then Barca should really go the whole way to get him to come to the Camp Nou as soon as possible. And Barcelona's facing basically we'd say that the transfer dilemma of either signing Verratti or trying to bring in a whole list of players and now Delefeo has already been signed for 12 million and Teo has gone the other way to Real Betis for 4 million that's where we currently sit as we record this podcast so that's eight million dollars negative already that Barcelona's had this transfer summer and so for Verratti it's basically going to be sign him and then have to give up on Bellerin and all the other players who would have liked to have signed this summer but you look at last summer and that was the big influx of multiple players who were all younger and we've talked about all of them with six different players coming in last season and kind of changing that bench and changing what could be the core of the club in the future. And an interesting thing that, you know, you had sent me, Frances, to read about was exactly why Verratti is seen as this answer and some of the things that he does exceedingly well. And we're going to have to have you help me translate this for the English speakers, including myself. But while a number of playmakers, which we're saying he is, can do a number of things, there's two terms that we're going to introduce in Salida and Pausa. Am I getting that correct? Is it pausa? Perfect, perfect. And pausa. So the former in Salida translates to an out ball in English. So basically what that means is with Barcelona's methodology of playing out of the back, of course, that's where they're most comfortable, playing from the goalkeeper to the defenders and building to the midfield to the attack. What he does is he can pick it up as that deep-lying playmaker. And as we had talked about before, when we initially broke him down, we'd compared him as a regista to Andre Pirlo. And what that the name of that pass is, is the salida. As in, he picks up the ball and he starts the attack, taking the ball from the defenders or the goalkeeper and building with passes from there. Now, the other term I just use in pausa is a term often given to those South American playmakers in the like of Juan Roman Riquelme, who, while he didn't spend a ton of time at Barcelona, is seen as that prototypical number 10. And still to this day, a lot of those South American playmakers in the middle, including, as you remember, Oscar at Chelsea, who's now applying his trade in China, they're oftentimes related or, or compared to Riquelme because of that pomp and circumstance he has in getting that slide rule pass to get through a defense. And while we see it through Iniesta, Iniesta doesn't necessarily do the first part of that in the Salida, but he does the second part 
in the Palsa. And the argument is that Verratti, as he showed in that 4 nothing win against Barcelona, working with Angel Di Maria, Julian Draxler, and Edison Cavani, that he had the ability to do both of those things. And so being a multi-talented midfielder allows Barcelona to basically play through Verratti and have Iniesta being able to focus completely on pushing forward and getting forward. And that allows Sergi Busquets to only focus on being that defensive midfielder. And particularly in today's day and age, when you have so many counterattacking football teams, including Bayern Munich, including Real Madrid, it's cutting out those passes and cutting out that counterattack. So that's what Busquets is able to completely focus on. And you look at the games of Andre Gomez, Arda Turan, Denis Suarez, they just don't have even just one of those things, but they definitely don't have both of those things that Verratti has, making him quite a rare talent in terms of being able to do so many different things. Verratti's a very, very rare player, and you described it really well there. Um, to put it simply, he's a mixture between Xavi and Iniesta, to be honest, and uh, he's got the best out of Xavi's game, which is the fact that he understands the tempo, he understands the positioning, he understands when the team needs to hold, sort of hold back, and when it's sort of the right moment for them to push forward. And that's what you, you explained there with, with the Salida. Salida is Salida de Balón, which is moving the ball forward up the field. Um, at Barca, as we know, uh, Salida de Balón starts from the goalkeeper. It is very rare to have a Barca goalkeeper just sort of hoofing the ball up in the hope for some sort of huge tall striker to bring it down, like say, uh, teams like say West Ham and the vast majority of English teams traditionally have done. Uh, that's not something that Barca does do. Barca try to get the ball to most of the time is the centre backs, and that role these, you know, the past two three seasons has been taken by Piquet, and before that it was players like say Philippe Cocu or you know Popescu, um, several several players uh, over the years, uh, Laurent Blanc as well, and even going back to Ronald Koeman. So that player that that sort of centre-back that can play the ball forward um, is always looking or traditionally looking for the full-backs which open up the pitch quite wide. Dani Alves obviously classic. Jordi Alba who we spoke about in episode 12 at length um, is, is another classic on, on taking the ball forward there but since the Guardiola times that ball from the centre-back has most of the times or more often than before gone to Xavi. So gone to either Busquets or Xavi, which are the, the uh, playmakers in the middle of the pitch. Now, Verratti can definitely fulfill that role. He has excelled in that position playing for Italy. And uh, whenever needed, he's also done that for PSG. And that's great. But what Verratti can add is that he also has the ability to push forward, to break the lines, to find gaps when most players wouldn't find any. And his positional play is sort of developed enough that he knows where to go, where sort of when to keep the ball, when to push to the side. So really, it's not just the fact that he's very skilled on the ball, which he is. It's not just the fact that he can defend and attack, which he can. It's that intelligence, that tempo, that understanding of game pace that Verratti does have and he's demonstrated throughout his career that makes him the outstanding player of this transfer season. And I'm going to go a little bit further here. If Barca could only sign one player, that has to be Verratti. Because even if we didn't sign Bellerin or Semedo or third-choice Cancelo, as we spoke about in episode 10, I think it was, 
we can survive. There's as Palencia coming from Barca B. He could play a role. We've got Alex Vidal. We've got Sergio Roberto's going to go into midfield. But, you know, if Alex Vidal was injured, he could still sort of go back into right back if needed. So the one player that Barca needs is a attacking midfielder that can play the ball, that can start pretty much every game, that can learn alongside Iniesta, that can complement Rakitic or whoever else comes from the other side and basically make an impact from game one. And as I said, the one player that can do that is Berratti. And if Barca could get him and convince PSG, and let's, you know, let's be honest, there's going to have to be quite a huge number of millions of euros involved. I still think it would be money well invest in the long term, given his age, given his quality, and given his potential impact. Well, before we transition completely to talking about Hector Bellerin, which is our next topic, I think something that ties the two players together is that both Ferrari and Bellerin have recently signed long-term contracts with their clubs in PSG and Arsenal, respectively. And as you mentioned, Verratti is going to cost probably upwards to $100 million or more to pull away from PSG, and particularly PSG, a club that always asks for high numbers anyway, especially if it's one of the best midfielders in the world. So my question, I guess, would then be, and something we can think about, is Josep Maria Bartomeu's legacy and what this summer could mean for it. If he's unable to get Verratti and unable to get Bellerin, and, and that's kind of it, where they don't really reinforce with those players and those players having, song, having signed those long-term deals remain at their clubs, what does that mean for his legacy? His legacy is not going to be very good regardless. Um, he kind of signed them, then the fan base is going to be annoyed. I mean, Bartomeu's legacy is very linked to Sandro Rossell's legacy because let's, let's not forget they came to the club together. Um, they defeated uh, La Porta in the elections and they've been fighting with him ever since. And it's been a very sort of distasteful, childish, but also very vicious game going on behind the scenes, all about politics, all about power. Uh, Sandra Rossell, as most of our listeners would know, has been jailed or has been, you know, uh, is about to be jailed and he's been released. And, you know, things are going on uh, with Rossell's sort of background and, and businesses that, let's face it, is going to taint Barcelona's um, image in the world stage inevitably particularly if Rossell ends up actually being jailed because Bartomeu was his right hand. So I think if we talk about Bartomeu's legacy, we have to think about what he's done on the pitch, but also we can't forget what he may have done off, that that's what the judges are dealing with. But I don't think he's a very popular man right now. And if he could sign Ferrati, Bellerin, that would be great. But uh, I think his legacy goes beyond signing these two players. And at this moment in time, in the Barcelona capital, it's not very well liked. Well, at this moment, as you mentioned, Bartomeu is likely to go to London this week, this next week, to negotiate one-on-one with Arsenal and Arsene Wenger, of course, to try to get Bellerin to become, once again, a Barcelona player. He's another player that we talked about in a previous episode with Danny Ceballos. Bellevin was another player who excelled at the European Under-21 Championships. And to me, Frances, you look at the motivations of Hector Bellerin in that meeting to tell Arsenal that he would want to leave. I think it would be twofold. 
One, of course, as he had mentioned last year, is that Arsenal do not have Champions League football this coming season for the first time since 1997-1998. Bellerin was just two years old at the time, and of course, he was a player, uh, not a player at the time, but he was st- he was living in Spain as he did for most of his youth. And this works hand in hand with the other big motivation of leaving, and that's to make the Spain national team for the World Cup. And so Bellerin pushing Danny Carvalho out of the starting lineup is going to be difficult, of course, at Real Madrid right back. And he's facing tough competitions from potentially a teammate in Sergi Roberto, who, as we had mentioned, could be moving to the midfield this year. And of course, Cesar as Bilicueta from Chelsea, who has basically been converted from an outside back to a center back by Antonio Conte this year. And while he and Juan Fran, he being Bellerin from Atletico Madrid, Juan Fran, they did go to the Euros, the two of them, as right backs in 2016. That was his last call up to the senior team. So if he isn't called in and he's projected to try to make the World Cup team, that's almost two years difference since his last call up to the senior team and of course as we had mentioned he's still under 23 years of age and with Arsenal still in the state they they are a lot of factors I think are going to go into it firstly that lack of Champions League money this season might push Arsenal to want to cash in on Bellerin now as again they won't have those funds that they normally get from playing in the group stage and the knockout rounds usually of the Champions League but in the other respect they might find it harder to replace Bellerin with a lack of Champions League money, and so they're not going to want to let the player go at this time. And another last note is that we had talked about before we even began this podcast that going into the season, last excuse me, going into this offseason, the Wenger out movement of trying to get Arsene Wenger finally away from Arsenal did not come to fruition. Of course, it was quite popular. It was all over the internet and all over social media and different different people and different fans over across sports fan base, and particularly in the U.S. and, and the U.K. had tons of fun with it. Arsene Wenger is still the Arsenal manager and after resigning, could be for the next few years as well. So Hector Bellerin, as we know, has a good relationship with Wenger. Wenger is the reason that Bellerin has not pushed harder to leave Barcelona. So for Arsenal, I think they're going to have to figure out, is this the best time to move Bellerin or is this the time you absolutely can't move Bellerin? I, I think I'm experiencing a little bit of deja vu here because the vast majority of, of the points that you just made, they were made when Cesc Fabregas was trying to be, you know, working his way back to, to the Camp Nou. It's, it's the same story. It's basically a player who left Barca because they were Ambitious, yeah, let's give them that. They were ambitious and they wanted to push for first-team football and they decided that being patient at Barca and trying to sort of break through the traditional way was not for them. Same for Fabregas when, when he left. Then they found their way into the first team. Wenger actually kept their promise, kept his promise and got them into the first team, both of them. Bellerin has excelled. He's been really good in, in, sorry, in Arsenal's first team. He has played European football, he has grown as a player, and he's really well loved by the Arsenal fan base. So basically, he's got what he wanted, he's got what he needed, apart from the fact that Arsenal are not winning any trophies anytime soon. And that is that has been eating away at, at Sven Wenger's credit for a long while now. I, To be honest, I'm very surprised that Arsenal decided to stick with Wenger, given the fact that so many fans wanted him out, and the fact that you know he's been there for well over a decade now, and results, while they were really good at the start of his tenure, they're not that great anymore. 
But you know, that's that's someone else's decision. And Arsenal, I'm sure, can sort out their own problems. Barca's got their own to worry about. So, back to Bayerin. It's a story that we've been hearing for years. And I'm going to read a couple of quotes from him, which you could think Bayerin has said that, or you could definitely assume that Fabregas said this like four or five years ago. Here we go. It is very nice to hear about the interest from a club like Barca, the club I grew up with from when I was a kid. I do not know anything at the moment. I'm an Arsenal player, but we'll see what happens. Um, leaving is something that I don't think about because you just don't know how things are going to go. I was lucky enough to join Arsenal. Things have gone well, and I'm now receiving this kind of news from Barca. It makes me very happy, but of course, it just does not depend on me. Now, every single one of those words could have been said by Cesc Fabregas five years ago, and uh, it's just a little bit of the same story. But personally, I think if he wants to come, he needs to say, he needs to push for it, and then Barca can negotiate. If he doesn't want to come, or if he thinks that he owns Venga some sort of extra loyalty for another season, that's cool with me as well. But uh, I think that whichever way it's going to go, and this is the point that we've made earlier uh, in our previous episode as well, I think he just needs to make his mind up, and Barca need to either go all in for Bellerin, travel to London, try and convince Venga, try and work out a price, or move on and see what's available on the market, or preferably, in my eyes, if nothing available come, nothing that's worth comes available, look at La Masia and see what's there. Yeah, I can agree with most of that, Francis, that the Cesc Fabregas story goes hand in hand with this one and Hector Bellerin. And Bellerin, even the way that they left the club, the, the youth academy at the time that they did, and then took on a major role at, Ars- at, at Arsenal. And you're absolutely right about how Bellerin is going to play a part. And we talked about the same thing with Marco Verratti, is those players at this point now are going to play a role in what they desire. And we're just going to have to see how willing their clubs are to allow them to leave if that really is what they're dedicated to doing. And, and speaking of leaving and being offloaded by your team, it looks like Barcelona have a little predicament in the middle of the field. And Valverde is most likely when preseason begins on July the 12th. Let's say, and again, with the, these are not official, but let's say that Barcelona were somehow signing Marco Verratti and no other midfielders are offloaded until that point. That leaves Ivan Rakitic, Andres Iniesta, Sergio Busquets, Andre Gomez, Denis Suarez, Arda Turan, Rafinha Alcantara, Sergi Samper, and Carlos Alenia as well, along with Sergi Roberto potentially moving from right back back to his natural position in the middle of the field. So if you're doing the math at home, that's three midfield spots, the way Barcelona plays, for 12 players, which it doesn't take a mathematician to tell you that that's probably too many midfielders and not enough time to go around. Yeah, it looks like Barcelona have just too many for the position. We can also talk about the different players that have been transferred, and you and I have been very critical of how Barcelona have allowed players to leave for limited prices, and particularly in Dani Alves, you have been particularly critical of allowing him to leave on a free transfer, as now it looks like Alves will be going to Manchester City. And so it's not just that there's too many midfielders and how do you get rid of that and how do you choose who to get rid of, but the greater problem is how do you find a way to get rid of play- that other teams know that Barcelona have too many midfielders, so how do you get fair prices for these players as well? Definitely, definitely. We've got Sergio Busquets is going to start, let's face it. He's, going, he's a Spanish international, knows the Barca system inside out. He's going to start pretty much every game. 
whenever circuit was cast doesn't play, that's when the problem happens. We, Luis Enrique used to sort of play with Mascherano playing in that position. Rakitic can play that position as well. The nat natural heir would be Sergi Samper, obviously, because they're very similar players that have come through the sort of the same way in the Barca system. But that leaves another 10 midfielders for the two spots, which Andres Iniesta is most likely going to start most of the games anyway. So really, there is not that much room for another midfielder, apart from the fact that if Verratti is signed, he would be pretty much an instant starter. So how does Barca go about making a profit while not devaluing players while still giving them time to play? It's a very difficult conundrum. But listen, I mean, in my eyes, what Barca need to do is just say, right, we've got all of these players. We would like to keep them all. But if someone wants them, come and make us an offer. I think Ivan Rakitic, in my eyes, should be, should be kept. I think if, if a crazy offer of, say, 40 to 50 million came, I think that should be considered. Andres Iniesta, untouchable. Busquets, untouchable. Andre Gomez, I think deserves another season. But if, I say, an offer of 40 million came, we signed him for 35 last year, I think 40 million would be reasonable to let him go. Denis Suarez, offers in the region of 30 to, I would even say, 35 million. I think will be, should be acceptable as well. Arda Turan, well, was signed for 30, 35 million not that long ago, a couple of years ago. So anything in the region of 30 to 35 would be great. But, you know, let's be honest, Turan's age and let's just say performance, as we discussed at length in episode 11, uh, which I really recommend that our listeners go back and listen to if they haven't. Arda Turan has devalued himself, really by his performances over the last couple of years, particularly this last year. So being realistic, 20 to 15 million even should be okay. I think 20 should be decent. Anything more than that, I think, yeah, let's, say, let's tie a ball around his head and, and send him off. Rafinha, we've spoken about this before as well. Rafinha came to Barca because Luis Enrique really wanted him here. He, you know, they've gone together through Barca B, they moved on to Celta together, they came back to Barca together, and now Luis Enrique is no longer here. So Rafinha, I would say, offers between 30 and 35 million uh, should be really seriously considered as well. Um, Carles Alagna, I think, is untouchable because we don't really know. Well, we know that he's got plenty of potential. We know that he's been instrumental in uh, pushing Barca B forward and uh, the promotion towards the second division. So I think Carles Alagna should be, at this moment in time, untouchable. Sergi Samper, let's be honest, he did not manage to establish himself in Granada. So anything between, I would say, 5 and 10 million should be considered. Uh, and the last one in the list that you gave earlier, Sergi Roberto, I think, should be, at this moment in time, untouchable as well. Because he played out of position all of last year, and he not only, he did well, but he didn't only sort of excel, uh, he didn't only do well enough. I think in some of the games he did excel. Now, he wasn't a defender, so there was some gaps in his performance at some particular moments. I would say in the Champions League, particularly in the away games, he wasn't very good at all. But he deserves the chance to move into midfield. So I think at this moment in time, Sergio Roberto should be untouchable. So 
in a nutshell, that thing that's that should be the plan of Barca moving forward. And you and I, I have the same, of course, we have similar lists and we also have similar methodologies of what different pl- should happen with different players. And going back to what I talked about with Bellerin, I think a lot of these players, of course, if you're a Barcelona player, you're going to be expecting to play in the 2018 World Cup. So that's kind of how I broke these players into their motivations on playing time and accepting different roles. And just running down through them, Iniesta, Verratti, Rakitic, Busquets, Andre Gomez are guaranteed starters with their national teams, of course, with Spain, Italy, Croatia, and Portugal, respectively. And then Sergi Semper and Denis Suarez, and obviously Carlos Elena, are likely way too young to make the, the 23-man roster of Spain for the next World Cup. And it's even more disappointing as a little aside that Semper wasn't on the U21 Spain roster for that tournament after having played a role in qualifiers for the U21 Euro Championships. He most likely lost out to Carlos Soler of Valencia. Tehran is interesting, of course, because he's retired from Turkey, though Pique and Messi could both give some advice about retiring and then not actually retiring. So, you know, Tehran could be potentially in Russia, though Turkey, their qualifying isn't exactly a done deal. And that leaves Sergi Roberto and Rafina as players I haven't mentioned yet. And thinking about Rafina, I have over the course of even the last few weeks of us doing this podcast, not changed my tune on Rafina, but I kind of see the argument that with Rafina having always had the faith of Luis Enrique, I've always thought of him as, you know, unlike his brother Tiago, Rafina was the one that was loyal to Barcelona, that stuck around, and he should be rewarded as such. But being a few more weeks out with injury, no matter where he starts, whether it's under a new coach in Valverde or whether he's shipped off somewhere else, he's going to have to make up time in a hurry recovering from injury and play really well, particularly in the fall and the, before that break if he remains in La Liga to get into contention for the 2018 World Cup squad of Brazil. And so if he wants to make the Brazil squad, and we saw he was even playing at the Olympics last year, last summer, but he didn't even start in that club, in, in that team, excuse me, which was by and large a U23 squad. So Rafina is going to have to, A, be very healthy, but B, he might not have enough time at Barcelona to prove that he's worthy of being in Russia in 2018 with the Brazil squad. So I think that might be Rafina's motivation to say, if you want to move me, please move me so I can get a shot to play there. And for Sergi Roberto, I agree with you. He should be untouchable from a Barcelona perspective. But Sergi Roberto, unfortunately, particularly when it comes to December, if he's fallen out of favor and isn't really getting much time because, let's say, if Arati has moved in and taken all those minutes in the midfield, Roberto might have to reconsider how he's going to find himself a plane ticket to Russia in 2018. And so for Roberto, I think, you know, those are two different stories with similar motivations. But Roberto, I think, will stay at Barcelona. And Rafina, as you had mentioned, and as I, you've kind of gotten me to agree that Rafina might be the odd man out there. And for Samper, as you had mentioned, five to ten millions potentially Barcelona would accept for him after his failed loan at Granada. And for me, I think with the promise that he had had for all those years being touted as Busquets' replacement... I think Semper absolutely should go back on another loan. I think that would be best for the player as well to have a successful loan to still be on a Barcelona contract and instead of have Barcelona having to take a small fee 
for a player that if he's able to find a good club situation on loan could be worth much more if he's seen next season as surplus to what Barcelona needs in the midfield and Munir Al-Haddadi we haven't talked about him in weeks and he's also going to be in preseason of course a forward not a midfielder but he's in the same boat as Samper as he had an unsuccessful loan at Valencia he had some bright moments but now if a team is going to pay six million for him and Barcelona either wants to put a buyback in six million seems to be too low for a player with such great promise you look at what Real Madrid just did with Hesse in that he was sold for 25 million to PSG and then who he did not succeed with, and then they immediately have to offload him again. So Munir is worth more than the $6 million. So I think Munir is another case of a guy that has to stay on the books because you look at what the guy that was sold, the free tra- not sold, but the free transfer that Simon Ramirez used to go to Mal- uh, Malaga, he's now signed for Everton. He was valued at $10 million, but he was only signed, he was signed for $6 million to Everton. And, of course, the, all of those numbers are given to us by TransferMarked the German website. And the last thing I'll say, a little aside, Frances, is that Everton, of course, we're talking about that Premier League money and Sandro now going to Everton, but Everton have handled their business in a way that I would hope that Barcelona would handle theirs over the course of a summer. And I know Everton is not a major Champions League contending club, but they're always top half of the Premier League table. But this year, they've already this summer signed a goalie in Jordan Pickford, a center back in Michael Keane, a midfielder in Davi Klaassen from Ajax, and of course, Sandro. And they worked right up their spine to reinforce all those spots. And none of those players were signed for more than $40 million. So you have to like the way that Everton, as we had talked about too, what the Bundesliga clubs are doing, and that's handling their business early. So I'm hoping by the next podcast we record, Frances, we can have some kind of announcement so we can talk about some new signings that Barcelona have made. And potentially, we should be talking before July 12th on players who Barcelona have offloaded. Well, let's hope so. I, I really do hope that you're right. I, I largely agree with everything you just said. Uh, I just want to make a point on the um, on the loan versus selling a player on. Now, Samper, right? He went to Granada. He went on a loan and he failed, basically. Now, let's think about this for a second. So, if Samper had been bought by Granada, if you're the Granada coach, the Granada sort of president and the Granada board, you want a player that you have bought to start every game so that they increase on value so that your team, obviously, first and foremost, plays better and you're, you're closer to achieving your, your objectives. But also, if it's a young player, you may want to sell them on from a profit in the future. When you go to another club on loan, the club, the club doesn't own you. They may be paying your wage, but the manager doesn't have that sort of pressure to grow that player. If you go on loan... It can work. I'm not saying it's never going to work. It could work. But I think we need to remember that when a club doesn't own the player and owns other players that are in the squad, if the quality difference is not enormous, then you may decide to play the player that you actually own rather than the one that was loaned for you. So I just want to throw it out there. Is it is loaning players the right way forward or is just selling players on with a buyback clause a better decision? Barca... The Barca board has done both over the last couple of years and I'm not quite convinced what the right answer to the question is, but I just wanted to throw it out there. And maybe as we had talked about even weeks ago, one of our more popular shows, that how does Girona being promoted to La Liga play into all of this? And I think when you talk about Samper and then you remember that Girona is, you know, they've got a working relationship with FC Barcelona 
and the role that that club could play in Samper's development, particularly the way that Girona, they're playing style as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that Girona could be a, an answer. I think Barca B should be the better answer because let's not forget that if you're playing for Barca B, you're technically at Barca anyway. You train in the very same facilities on a daily basis. And if you're one of the outstanding players, such as, say, Alanya or Palencia, then there's a very good chance that Valverde is going to trust you and you'll be training alongside Neymar, Suarez, Piquet on a daily basis. And then if if needed, playing with Barca B, if possible, playing with the first team. So I think, to me, given the fact that Barca B got promoted with, I cannot stress enough, is one of the best news of the season, I think that should be the first first choice. Yeah, without a doubt, they they need to go, basically. They need to be sold for profit or trusted enough to stay. But given the quality in the squad, let's face it, they just need to be offloaded at this moment in time, get a buyback clause in case that, say, Samper explodes somewhere else and becomes sort of a world-class player, then we can get him back. But I don't see it happening given the previous two years and definitely the season that just finished. Right. Well, that brings us right to our rapid-fire questions of the day, those fan questions. And, of course, today we've got two of our most consistent and, we'll say, hardworking fans to the Barcelona podcast. They always have contributions and are really helping, you know, credit to them, the Barcelona podcast community grow, particularly on the BarcelonaPodcast.com and Barca blog as well. And Wajia Wazir has the first question, and she asks, what areas of play should Barca improve next season? And some of the, the examples she gave are set pieces, defending set pieces, crosses, counters, etc. And, Frances, I would say that set pieces are pretty much always something that Barcelona could work on. And, you know, they've had good seasons and they've had bad seasons for set pieces. This past season wasn't particularly too bad as compared to previous years. If we remember right, Mark Andre Ter Stegen's first season, as he was splitting time with Claudio Bravo, Barcelona was not particularly good on set pieces. But as we had mentioned this past season, they got a little better. And I think it always comes down with that to how much confidence Gerard Piquet is playing with and how well he leads that back line. And Umtiti is a big body and has been really important on set pieces as well. So for me, the way you improve that comes individually. If Umtiti is able to take the next step in terms of banging in some goals with his head or on set pieces, I think that would do wonders for that Barcelona back line. I agree. I think Umtiti's growth was spectacular in his first year at Barca. It was one of the better news of the whole season. And Piquet was outstanding as well. He's always been good, but I think he's reached a level of maturity that really does benefit the team as a whole. Um, obviously, when Mascherano does play, the team does suffer, particularly in the air. But I agree with you. I think set pieces has traditionally been a Barca weakness and having Umtiti, having Piquet and having sort of players like, say, Busquets and even even Luis Suarez is very good at defending in corners as well. So I think set pieces needs to continue to be a priority. But as you mentioned, it wasn't necessarily a weakness as such last year. And I really do hope that continues next season. Charlie Barca, it's not really a question, Frances, but... I guess we could try to form it into the question. He says, maybe at some point you could give a shout-out to the English-speaking Peñas in the UK, the USA, 
and more. Yeah, let's do that. Um, I don't know if uh, Barca Blog and the Barcelona Podcast followers do know this, but I am a member of the PBL, which is Peña Barcelonista London. Um, I'm very good friends with Eduard Manas, who is the president there, which hopefully we can get him in the program soon to talk to us and see see what his position is on the current events. So I, I probably should be contacting him this week, actually, thinking about it. Um, I know that, um, I think Charlie probably, will, I don't know if he's linked, but I think he may be linked to Peña Unión Blaugrana, who are another one of the UK Peñas that are really sort of involved in the day-to-day sort of running of Barca. And yeah, I've got friends in the Peñas in New York, for example, as well, and all around the world. So here's the challenge. If you are in a Peña around the world and you're listening to this podcast, please comment to us. Please let us know the name of your Peña and we will certainly give you a shout out next week, even if Dan does not allow me to do that because we're running out of time. Well, we are running out of time, Francis. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> this one wraps up another show. We want to thank our fan questions as well each and every week for fostering that community and helping out on both BarcelonaBlog.com and, of course, the main place, TheBarcelonaPodcast.com or TheBarcelonaPodcast.com officially, where you can also subscribe, comment, or support the show by taking advantage of the many deals we offer. Of course, if you know someone who likes Barcelona as much as you do, or even half as much as you do, get them listening to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it is, of course, on your desktop on SoundCloud, the app on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, a number of different places you get your podcast and share you can rate you can subscribe and help us out there so we can keep making more of the barcelona podcast each and every week we will bring you the hottest breaking stories from the camp no and of course until next time forza barca forza